and welcome to this EG Property Podcast, where EG's Head of Content, Emily Wright, is joined by Directors Catherine Weisler and Stuart Patience from Hollis, the independent real estate consultancy. They will be discussing the need to improve the condition of existing real estate stock in order to meet both national and global decarbonisation targets. Hear how Hollis has created its own version of the three R's to review decarbonisation through reduction, renovation and renewables. Good morning. Um, I'm joined today by Catherine Weisler, Director and Head of ESG Consulting, and Stuart Patience, Director at Hollis. How are you both this morning? Great. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Not at all. Thank you very much for being here. And a trip from Amsterdam. Yeah, no problems as well. So that's always a plus. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you very much for being here. So we're here today talking about all things ESG, and I'm going to delve into another three letters, not E, S and G, but actually R, R and R, and a P, actually, which we'll come to um, in just a minute. But let's start off just before we delve into those three R's with the E, the S and the G and bringing it all together, if you so wish. I mean, it's probably one of the most talked about terms in the real estate sector right now. And that's a good thing for many reasons. And it's not a bad thing that it's so up there and out there, but I think there's a lot of noise around that as well. So it's sort of balancing that really, isn't it? But I'd love to hear from both of you, and if it's all right to start with you, Catherine, that'd be brilliant, around because it means a lot of things to different people, I think, and it'd be very helpful, particularly with your specific role and your job title and your area of expertise, to really get a sense of what it actually means to you. Great. Well, I think that's a very good question. Um, on the first instance, I mean, ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. But what does that mean in real estate and what does that mean to us? Well, in ESG in real estate really is looking at first the environmental aspects, so looking at to reduce the environmental impact of real estate as much as possible. We know that the real estate industry makes up 40% of the world's carbon emissions and there's a huge push to decrease that and to drive that down. So there's, I think, a lot of things that, that we are looking at, the industry is looking at, that place real estate and, and focus on real estate, not only on a financial aspect, but also on the environmental aspects as well, and social and governance. So it's not just about the financial bottom line anymore, but people are considering sort of the wider impact of, of the real estate industry on the world. And I think that's what ESG is really all about, is kind of just looking at the broader picture. Not only are what are the environmental impacts, but also what are the social impacts, because of course, real estate makes up the places that people live and work and play in. Mm -hmm. So it has a lot of impact on our social communities and our social environments and a lot of opportunity for positive impact as well. And same with governance. So are we making sure that people involved in our projects and involved in our, in our sites are acting in a positive way? And again, not just looking at the financial bottom line, but really considering the wider impact that real estate has on the world. Thank you very much. Stuart, anything to add onto that? And also just touching on this point around how the noise can be cut through um, when it comes to this term, which is so important and yet so widely used and talked about. Yeah, very much so. So I think at Hollis, we're looking at, as Catherine said, very much on the, the E, the S and the G, looking at all of those areas. But my area specifically within Hollis is very much looking at energy solutions, looking at what we can do to increase the renewable content on buildings. In the UK, we have less than 5% build the commercial property has solar PV on the roofs, so that's mm. still a long way to go. And we're shifting away from centralised power systems where we previously had a very small number of large 
generators of electricity in the UK that were run by large, um, big six effectively, mm -hmm. to decentralised energy networks where we have effectively small power stations on buildings that can push energy back into the grid as well as generating energy and sending it one way. Yeah. So for me, that's where the market will, will open up and people seeing previously roof as one purpose really, which was to provide shelter for buildings. Now there's another revenue stream for a roof yeah. um, to unlock the roof and actually create value for landlords and create an opportunity for tenants to lower their energy costs, which is at the forefront of most tenants' decisions at the moment. Mm. It's usually the second biggest cost um, after personnel on their balance sheet. Yeah. And the energy aspect of things has just really brought a very, very sharp focus to this subject, hasn't it? So that's very interesting to hear. And just from both of you, before we move on to talk about your three R's, which I'm really excited about, just this sense of how you cut through the noise, because what you guys are doing is fresh and it's new and it's innovative. And I feel like there is obviously a, a very, very clear focus on what needs to be done and what action needs to be pushed forward. How do you make sure that that is instilled in a company culture rather than, you know, a report here, a report there? How do you make sure that the action follows through? Sure, yeah, I think one of the most important things that I see is that there's a lot of confusion in the market about the targets. So the government's constantly you know, changing and government targets being different in each maybe country or jurisdiction mm. um, and not clear throughout Europe or even throughout the world that people kind of feel uncomfortable. Well, we don't know exactly what the target is, so we're not going to get started and we're not going to do anything. And I think that you know sometimes puts the brakes on people from even making a first step. So I always say one of the most important things to do is just get started, even if you don't know exactly what the target is. You know we know where the direction of travel is and where we all want to be going. So don't let a bit of confusion in targets and government and legislation hold you back from just getting getting started. Thank you very much, Stuart. Yeah, I think targets previously, certainly within the renewable sector, have been a catalyst to get the market moving, but they've also stopped a lot of deployment as well because the incentives usually offered by the government to get things for the, when the feed-in tariff started, it very much pushed renewables on, but then they were chipping away at the, the feed-in tariff. So then people made a decision that they wouldn't do it. Prior to the price cut, they then missed the, the opportunity to deploy solar. Actually, now I think we're in a much more sustainable place going forward um, with renewables because we don't have government incentives schemes behind it which creates this boom and bust scenario or the uh, the solar coast um, where people would do it don't do it do it don't do it and then there was almost like a mourning period after they'd missed that feed-in tariff cut it was like oh, I should have done it then mm. I won't do it now and then they wouldn't do it again and then it would get cut again they say oh, I should have done it before the last cut so now just not having the support of the government behind it for me is a good thing because I think the industry is standing up on its own two feet which means that actually it's got a much better outlook going forward. That it, it financially, if it makes sense without government intervening, then that's better for the, the solar industry as well. Well, there was solar coaster in there, and then there was your excellent point at the end. But so I don't know which direction to go. Yeah. In, but solar coaster, brilliant point that you, that you just made about you know the positive spin on what's happened in terms of the government is really interesting. You know, I think it's fine for conversations to sort of to wing back to, to where we're getting to, which is the three R's. Don't worry. But before we get to that, I just have to touch on that point that you just made because it's very interesting, and I think maybe quite reassuring for people to hear. Okay, on face value, it wasn't great, but there are positives to the industry then you know thinking right we're gonna have to take control of this yeah so 17 18 years ago when I first started in the solar industry the payback of a PV system was 84 years we're now seeing as little as three years return on investment on a solar commercial project I would say five to seven is 
more average, but we are getting three years because of purely the cost of the technology has come down, the output of the equipment, the, the efficiencies of the systems have gone up. From that point of view, it's, a lot of it is a re-education with a lot of our clients to say, actually, you need to re-look at it again. You might have looked at it five, ten years ago and it might not have worked. Let's re-look at what that return on investment looks like. Let's model the buildings and see what we can get on the roofs and actually try and work with tenants to understand what their future roadmap looks like. As we move towards electrification of business, it's forecast that we're going to be using 50% more power across buildings with electric vehicle charging, move away from gas towards heat pump technology, more process control and automation, robotics, AI going into buildings is all going to increase the electrical output of buildings. So tenants are going to need to understand what their business is using now, but actually what that roadmap looks like in five, ten years' time. And that's quite hard at the moment because there's such a transition in lots of things, whether that's vehicles, um, technology, and how we're doing business generally. Mm. And, and Catherine, I'm interested just to see whether you have any thoughts to add on that, you know, the, the stance of what's happened in terms of government shifts or, well, you know, arguably government sort of moving what people thought were the goalposts and the impact it has then had on the industry. And obviously there's been a lot of talk around the negative impact that, that might have had in terms of pushing the agenda forward. But do you agree that there are some positives to be gained from that? Yeah, so again, I think similar to what Stuart sees in the solar industry, even if the government's going to change the requirements or the legislation, we see in most of our clients, most people in the industry are still moving in the same direction, even if the targets are changing. That doesn't change anything for them. They've got other reasons why they might be still pushing forward. There's a requirement from their investors, or it's a requirement from their lenders. We're increasingly seeing banks also put these requirements onto their mm -hmm. projects and to their lenders. Maybe it gives people you know, externality reasons for wanting to, to make these changes. So not just because it's coming down from the government, but they see other benefits as well. They see better returns maybe from their tenants that are willing to pay higher rental costs. They see people wanting to stay in their buildings. I think especially in the cities where we were just talking about how this morning they're saying that London has the highest vacancy rate in the last 30 years, mm. but people are, are moving to quality. There's a flight to quality. People want those you know, sustainable, high-tech, modern mm. amenity buildings. Um, and so they understand, even if this isn't a requirement from the legislation and from government, it's a requirement from the market, and mm. they're seeing positive returns on that. I think also that, that there's going to be a ripple, and we're already seeing it with the likes of what we're doing with some of our clients. Even warehouse logistics space that previously was seen as just a shed, put a mezzanine floor in and you throw a few desks and chairs in there and that will suffice in order for, to capture the best people to work in those environments. People need to be thinking actually about that space and actually make even the industrial logistics sector a good space to work in. So it's not just having those facilities there in the offices in city centres but actually other buildings as well. So we're seeing logistics industrial buildings with woodland walks and picnic tables mm. um, and all these sorts of things that so that people can go out and then at lunchtime and plug their laptop into a, a solar panel picnic bench. These are things that clients are starting to make a decision on seeing the value in that. Yeah, you have to imagine these are places where people are, they're coming to work all day, every day, the same as you, know, you or I might go to the office all day. And so they're demanding high quality spaces. So even if it's a warehouse that has an office space to it, they still want that high quality space and they're not going to be able to attract a tenant. The tenant's not going to be able to attract staff if they don't have this good space. 
Brilliant, thank you very much. And I heard solar powered picnic benches there as well. All that was going through my head was solar coaster again. Like, <laughs> so now every time anyone says solar to me, I'm going to be distracted. And it's a really important topic, so I'm going to have you to blame for that. That was all brilliant, really, really interesting insights. But we're here to, as well to talk about the three step approach to decarbonisation and you know, highlighting the core principles of the three R's when it comes to improving the condition of existing real estate stock. Um, we've been mentioning vacancy rates, so this is really, really pertinent and relevant. The, the core principles reduce, reuse, and recycle. But you guys have got your own version of the three R's, and I really wanted to talk to you about that in a bit more detail. So we've got reduction, renovation, and renewables. So can we go through each of those in turn and sort of have a chat about how important they are, how you're communicating, um, how each of those three R's works to your clients, and how you're dealing with that internally as well. First one is reduction. So Catherine. Yeah, so I think this kind of came about because of the questions that we get from our clients. So a lot of clients will come to us and they say, we want to reduce our energy use by five or 10%. We want to reduce our carbon emissions by 10%, 15%. We want to make these sort of small changes. And so before we even jump into the renovation aspects and, and really looking at sort of the technical improvements that they need to make, and we're talking about existing buildings here. So we work a lot in the existing building stock, which is really important because you can imagine, you know, most of the buildings that are going to be standing in the next 30, 50 years are already built, so there's yeah. a lot of renovations to be done. So before we even go to looking at making improvements and changes and renovations, we should probably be looking first at just reducing the energy demand and the carbon emissions in the building as it stands. So we see all sorts of things when we look into a building about how it's currently being used compared to the way it was designed to be used. So That's interesting. You can imagine maybe the BMS system, the set points have been changed or something has been tweaked in the building based on the way the operator wanted to use it. Or, well, Stuart can pick up more on this as well, but we'll come in and a building will have PV panels on it and the tenant will be amazed to see that the PV panels are completely not working or not working the way that they thought that they would be. So before we even go in and do the renovations, I think it's first looking at the building to see how can we reduce the energy use of the building as it stands. Um, and just really optimize the system that's already there before they, you know, you even have to make a large investment or make a lot of changes. Thank you very much. Stuart, any comments on the first of your three R's? I think that, yeah, they're the easy wins and they're, they're the things that we'll certainly focus on first. Um, behavioural changes, just simple, sometimes actually getting people to make some really simple switches. So we've had it before where there's been instantaneous hot water heaters that have been just left boiling all night long like a kettle, um, yeah. so, you know, maybe have three kilowatt instantaneous hot water boilers, um, and there may be quite a few of those in, a, in an office, and no one's responsible for actually switching those off. And actually, it gets to a point where you think no one is going to be responsible for switching that off, so put it on a fused time spur for a really, really low cost, and actually eliminate that human intervention and, mm. and just automate that task. It's very much when you start looking at buildings' energy consumption, then you can start tracking the out-of-hours consumption is the easiest thing to pinpoint wasted energy mm. because it's, it's harder to identify it during the day because that may be the business's process load. But when you start looking at two o'clock in the morning and you can see these spikes every half an hour throughout the evening, then you can start questioning where that energy's come from using energy monitoring devices to mm. actually connect up to certain power circuits to understand where that power is and identify that and then try and produce either a, a behavioural change or a really low-cost solution to automate the task and reduce the need for that to be on. And those low-cost solutions to automate the task, they're out there, aren't they? There's a lot of noise around that as well. A lot of, I think the industry feels somewhat overwhelmed. So obviously, it's great to have you know experts in place. The thing with any 
energy audit is to measure, and that's the first thing, is to get that baseline, is to actually measure the building, see where, see what the load is, and when we're trying to identify some easy wins in that first stage, then actually putting, putting CT clamps on and measuring the, the baseline load is, is the first, one of the first tasks as well. Thank you very much. I feel like there's so much more to say on that, but to move through the R's, because we're only, in, only one of three. So, renovate. I'm sure that in many ways that does what it says in the tin, but I think there's probably some nuances there to be discussed as well. So, Catherine, renovate is the next R. Sure. The next step of kind of reducing a building's uh, energy use, carbon emissions, meeting targets, etc., we'd be looking at renovating an existing building. And we'd be looking usually at two parts of that. So, there's also the three-step pathway of lean, clean, green in terms of the energy hierarchy. So this would be the lean and the clean steps. What does that mean? So lean is looking at the building fabric to understand is the building well insulated? Are there any thermal bridges? Is the building leaking energy anywhere that we should be aware of? And Hollis as building surveyors, you know, that's what we do all day every day is we go and look at building fabric and just make sure that, yeah, there's no improvements that need to be made. That could also be better insulation for garage doors or for normal people doors or the roof, et cetera. So lots of things to look at in terms of the building fabric mm -hmm. performance. And then the next step of that, which some people would commonly be called clean in the energy hierarchy, would be reviewing that mechanical and electrical kit of the building. So that's usually looking at the lighting, looking at the heating and cooling system, the domestic hot water system, and understanding if there's any improvements to be made there. So lighting is a quick win. Usually, you know, that's usually something that we would recommend if you don't have highly efficient lights with motion sensors and daylight sensors. That's something we would recommend. And the heating and cooling system as well. So there's a huge push to get off fossil fuels mm -hmm. and to remove gas from buildings. So a lot of the work that we're doing right now is to get off fossil fuels, install an all-electric system like air source heat pumps, and to really make sure the building then is, is operating as efficiently as possible in terms of the, the kit that's in there. And this is also really important then that you've done the building fabric step first, the, the lean step, because all electric can be more expensive than mm -hmm. gas currently previously was. And we want to make sure that then if you're switching to an all electric system, that we're not just leaking energy out the fabric and wasting money in terms of that. Important to kind of really follow the steps to make sure that you're doing it in, in the right way. Thank you very much, Stuart. Anything to add on the second R? No, I think Catherine's covered it. Just really an understanding what the next steps are. So if you are going to be looking at re-roofing as part of that project, um, then actually, you know, rather than just re-coating that roof, is there an opportunity to, to insulate at the same time, potentially, the roof? And if you are thinking of the next step about uh, renewables, which we'll go on to, then actually, if you are re-roofing, then what type of roof is the best roof to suit the PV? Is that the opportunity to change maybe the, the roof from a, a trapezoidal to a standing seam so that we can clamp rather than puncture a new roof? So it's having that sort of roadmap to or plan to understand what, what the long-term goals are of the client. If, if their plan is to put renewables on, then part of that phase may also be worth tying in with sort of the, the renovate phase and the renewables phase at the same time to make sure that we don't put something on that maybe isn't suitable for the renewables at a later date. And that's very clever because number three is it's renewables. In nicely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so renewables at Hollis, what we'll do is be able to um, 3D model the building to understand what the current baseline load of the building is and then put forward various different options for the landlord or the tenant dependent upon where we feel the best option may be and that may be a combination of reducing the process load of the building already, maximising the roof area, the by sizing the system to uh, maximise the roof area, what the gains in the EPC may be which may be a big driver for the landlord. So 
potentially putting on a, a certain size system may give um, the tenant their requirement, but actually by effectively maximising or supersizing the system, we're going to have a slightly higher degree of export that goes back to the grid, but it may also jump the building from a B to an A or a C to a B. So we've got to look at that as well. The issue we have with renewables at the moment is there, there are a few roadblocks that we need to get through to understand the structural integrity of the roof. It's something that we'll need to have a look at. We need to understand the condition of the roof and I think that's something that Hollis does really well as building surveyors. We're not just a, a PV consultant in isolation that's coming in and going to just put PV panels down on a roof that's clearly not going to align with the life expectancy of the PV system, which is typically 25 years. It sounds obvious, but it happens where PV gets put down on a roof that's maybe only got three to five years life expectancy left on it. Mm. And it's going to create the landlord and the tenant a headache in future years where it all needs to come off the roof because the roof should have been recoated or there may be cut edge corrosion that needs to be treated first. So looking at the project, not just as a solar PV project, but looking at it very much as say as a renovate and PV project to get that done at the same time. Looking at the grid connection, which is potentially going to be an issue on something. So looking at G99 approval process to get the solar PV connected to the grid. And a lot of people have issues with that because the grid's maybe not fit for purpose for a decentralised energy system. We've got the issues with the, the, the labour shortage in the market, skills shortage, that we need to drastically improve the skills in the, in the sector, getting hold of the equipment, which mm. over the last six months has been better than it was the previous six months, just because of the, the global demand for PV at the moment. Thank you very much. Catherine, on to you for your the final R, renewables. Yeah, well, I think, as Stuart said as well, after, you know, if clients are trying to reach a certain target, you have certain, certain goals for your building, you know, if you're at their ambitious goals, you're probably not going to achieve them just with the reduce and the renovate steps. So inevitably, then, we come to renewables. And then really important that client looks at that picture together. We look at that picture together because you can make so much more of a win if you're collaborating on that and understanding the whole picture of the building to really, you know, re reduce the energy use, reduce the demand, produce energy on site, reach your EPC target, as might be one of the goals. Doing any of those steps in isolation, you're only going to have so much of an impact, but if you can bring it all together and look at it as one picture, yeah, you've got a much better chance of reaching your goals. Thank you very much. So we've talked about the three R's, and now I want to talk about the P, and you might be thinking, what's the P? But actually, P has come from a conversation that we had earlier, and so it will be familiar to you, and that is P for practical. And it was something that came up when we were discussing the difference between sort of a more of a vague approach to all these very important issues versus actually making sure that actionable content and actionable results shine through. And so we did touch on it earlier, but just to finish off, let's have a conversation about how important that practical element is in terms of instilling that through the company and making sure that what is spoken about and everything from the three R's through to some of the broader points then do go on and results are seen. Yeah, so I think, well, for us, as Stuart was mentioning, we're not just ESG consultants. We're not just the PV consultancy. Um, we have the building surveyors in-house. We have the project managers in-house, the cost management team, the M&E engineers. And it's really so important that we all work together to do these initial reports, but then also get them implemented. So it's all well and good. You know, we love doing the initial feasibility studies and reports to understand, you know, what do you need to do to reach your targets? What are the options? Draw that pathway out. But we don't want our reports to just sit on the shelf. We really want to get things implemented and, and see change. And that's the great thing at Hollis. So often we'll do the early stage reporting, maybe as part of a due diligence report. You know, clients are starting to understand that they should bring these questions into their due diligence reporting. 
but when it becomes a project or after acquisition, that this really gets carried into the asset management plan, or the project plan for an asset. Mm -hmm. And then we've got to make sure that any recommendations that we've given in these initial studies are feasible, are practical. And so that's why we take help of all of this, this wider team and the wider expertise to really inform our reporting. Because hopefully we're going to actually implement it as well. And you know, they'll come back to us if we've said something that completely is infeasible. So really important that we make these recommendations practical so that we can get them implemented. And I think it also, if they're not practical, you know, you're playing with the trust of the market. So if you're continuously giving out reports that are not giving accurate results and not saying feasible plans, I think the market will start to lose trust on the decarbonization image. And that's something that we definitely don't want to have happen. Thank you very much. And Stuart, any final thoughts on practical side of things, or should we just have solar coasters as the final thought? <laughs> it comes back to, from our side, is just really sitting down with the, uh, the client and understanding the brief. Is, is it purely that they're putting renewables on their roof as a return on investment? In which case, that helps us to understand the size of the system. How's the deal going to be structured? Are they looking to generate the solar PV, gift it to the tenant? Are they looking to restructure leases? Are they looking to rentalise that as part of a rental uplift? to the, um, the occupier, are they looking to set up a power purchase agreement and charge the, the tenant on a recharge basis, uh, sort of a below grid market rate for the electricity from the, that the solar generates. And all of these needs to be factored into the brief to understand if, if it's purely return on investment, then getting that sizing of the PV system is really, really important because if we sell it back to the grid as export, that's going to be significantly less than perhaps what a PPA would be. Um, to the tenant. So if the tenant's potentially buying the electricity at 16 pence on a PPA and selling it to the grid at five and a half pence, then you can see that you want to try and reduce the demand back to the grid. Or we look at battery storage. So there's a whole piece that needs to be put together and then road mapping out where that tenant's business is going because that may change over the next five years quite significantly and that may alter the system sizing again. So yeah, it's really, really important to understand. And, and usually we find it's a mixture of return on investment. Actually, the landlords want to be doing the right thing from a net zero carbon perspective as well. So they've got reporting to do. And also the, usually the gains in the EPC for the forthcoming MEES changes as well mm. that are expected. So usually it's a blend of various different criteria that need to be hit to calculate that sort of practical aspect to say, this is what size PV system we would recommend for your building and following that through. Thank you very much. Well, I think we've covered so much um, in, a, in a pretty short space of time. Really, really useful, really interesting stuff. I'm going to finish up now, but just before we do, just 30 seconds from each of you on a closing message for our listeners. What would you leave them with? What, what is the most important? If you could get one point across, what would it be? I didn't say I was going to ask that, so I'm going to on the spot. <laughs> I've got one. Well, the topic of the summit today, the death of development, and I would say that's kind of been a Cheery. topic. Yeah, cheering. <laughs> the topic that I've been hearing about lately from architects, from developers, from contractors, etc. And her, I was speaking to an architect last week, and they were saying that they think kind of all these new ESG requirements and landscape is making it difficult mm -hmm. that for them. And they actually called it a burden, which I was really surprised to hear because it's also such an opportunity. We have such an opportunity to make a positive change on the real estate industry. There's so much focus on this change right now on ESG that I think it's such an opportunity to do things better than the way that we've been doing them for years. 
And so I think to reframe it as not a burden, not as the death of development, but really what are the opportunities that come out of all of this? Brilliant. Thank you very much, Mr. Stewart. For me, it's about collaboration. We've got lots of parties all wanting the same thing. So we've got the tenants looking to reduce their energy consumption. We've got landlords that have got net zero carbon agenda to meet MEES compliance uh, with the EPCs and actually looking to make a revenue stream on a rooftop space that they don't have at the moment. So usually it's a case of getting those teams to collaborate and realising that they've got the same shared goal, putting that in place. So that's, for me, it's, it's about collaboration between the parties. Thank you very much. So it's three R's, a P, and O, and a C. We've got reduce, renovate, renewables, practical, opportunity, and collaboration. And I can't think of, get my maths right, six better words to finish on. Thank you so much, Catherine and Stuart. Thank you for joining me today. Thank Thanks you. very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Catherine and Stuart, for sharing your time and thoughts with EG. Thank you for listening. And for other news, analysis or data, head to egi.co.uk slash news.